We'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. We're continuing, of course, our study of this great book, and we've been going all the way through. We started, of course, with the book of Genesis, started at the very beginning, went all the way through the book of Genesis, and, of course, the end of Genesis where the nation of Israel is in Egypt, and then we started the book of Exodus where they ended up being slaves, and now we've seen them come out. That's what Exodus really means. It's, it's, uh, the book of Exodus is the way out. Ek is out of, and adas is the Greek word for way, so ex adas, the way out, and that's what the book is about. Exodus shows the deliverance of his people Israel, God's people from bondage in Egypt, how he provides and how he protects them, how he takes them to the promised land. That's really what we'll see as we go through basically this part. Uh, we'll see, basically we're just going to take them up till they get to the, the Mount Sinai and the Mosaic Law. This evening, we're going to continue seeing God's provision and protection over and over in the wilderness. Now, uh, a different problem uh, does this time. A problem develops. An enemy attacks the nation of Israel. They're the Malachites. They're descendants of Amalek, and they come after the Jews. And who are they? What happened? Why do they attack? What's going on? How do they attack? And how does God provide and protect? As we look at this passage, we want to think about our, our enemy. We have enemies as well. And we see how God provides and protects us as we seek to live for him. So great stuff tonight as we go through the passage. Even though it's just a few verses, there's a lot there. Let's, let's begin by going to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you again for the privilege of coming together and singing and, and studying the word of God. And so, Lord, thank you for each one that is here. Help us, Lord, as we study tonight to see great truths that we can apply right now in our lives. Lord, we know that your word was given to us not just to gain information but to change our lives. So help us, Lord, as we study so that we can know it and applied and then pass it on to others thank you lord for the privilege of studying the word of god teach us now lord we ask all of this in jesus name amen well jesus taught that if the world hated him it would hate us and if the world persecuted him it persecute us and it is a great truth that if we seek to stand for christ in a fallen world we can expect persecution we can we're in a battle in fact i like to put down that the christian life is not a playground but it's a battleground to be a child of god is to have enemies i mean think about that we live in a world that, and, and, and basically there are three, three enemies that we always talk about, and the enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is, that, is the, uh, the fallen system. John, John tells us don't love the world. Uh, you know, John tells us not to love the world or the things in the world. So that's how we deal with the world. As you look at the next one, Paul tells us to walk in the Spirit will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's how we deal with the flesh. And then the last one, of course, is the devil. And James says, resist the devil and he will flee from us. And so as you have the world, the flesh and the devil, love not the world, walk in the Spirit, resist the devil. We're going to talk more about that as we go through. We realize that our great God and Savior has provided for us. He provides and protects as we seek to live for him. As we look at Exodus 17, we see the same thing. God has provided and protected his people, Israel. And in this passage, particularly tonight, an enemy comes against him. The Amalekites, a descendant, or Amalek, comes in, in the fight. And we're going to see what he does. And this passage helps us as we think about truths and how do we, how do we gain the victory over these enemies in our lives. Well, let's think about what's going on. The nation of Israel has come out of Egypt there. Uh, we've seen God's great power, and we've seen that he brought the plagues upon the nation of, I- of Egypt so he could bring them out. He has parted the Red Sea. That he's taken care of them. Uh, as they made their way now, they're making their way to Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai, sometimes it's called Mount Horab. That's the same place. We're going to see that that's where they actually already are. In fact, last week, if you remember, when they came to the place where there was the rock, where, where there wasn't any water, and they all griped and complained, and God told Moses to go strike the rock. The rock was that Mount Horab. Man, Horab and Mount Sinai are the same place. 
So what we're seeing is God has taken his people to Mount Sinai to get the law, and then he takes them to the promised land. It's two million people, at least two million people in the wilderness. How are they going to make it? We see God provides and protects his people. We've seen that he's tested his people over and over again. We saw that they uh, they came to a place, and they ended up calling it Myra, which means bitter. They came to a place there wasn't any water. I mean, excuse me, there was water, but it was bitter. They couldn't drink it. And they said, what are we going to do? God said, take a tree. Throw the water, throw the tree into the water, and it made the water good. And so God protected them. Then they came to a place where they had no food. And they kept saying, We're grum-. they grumbled, and they said, we don't have any bread, we don't have any meat. And so what did he do? He brought the birds into the camp, and then he gave them that manna every morning, that what is it? That's what the Hebrew word manna means, what is it? And every morning they wake up and they have this food. And then the last time we saw, they came again to a place with no water, and they began to gripe, and it was at Rephidim. And so they grumbled, and God used Moses to strike the rock, take the rod, strike the rock, and water. Well, this evening we got a fourth thing, and that's an enemy. A people comes against them. The Amalekites attack the nation of Israel. And once again, God provides and protects, and we see that. And this evening, it's the battle. Now, think about this. The first battle of the new nation, they have never fought. They never fought. What have they been all their lives? Slaves. They were slaves in Egypt. They weren't army. They weren't soldiers. They weren't anything. And God, and you know, and when they got, when they left Egypt, they didn't fight. They didn't fight the Egyptians. In fact, God, the Egyptians said, please leave. And then when they, the Egyptians came after them, God said, I will fight for you. And Moses told the people, stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord. And so God delivered them. So they, they, uh, they've never fought. And suddenly there's this enemy coming after them. You can see them saying, what are we supposed to do? I don't know. What are we supposed to do? We don't know. And we're going to see that God will provide once again. They're at Rephidim. That's the place of no water. That's the place where he struck the rock and water came out. And an enemy comes and attacks. You know, it just seems like it's one problem after another. Have you ever heard somebody say that when you trust Christ, everything's going to be great? I've had people say, well, when you trust Christ, everything will smooth out. I don't think so. Right? You live in a fallen world. In fact, when you trust Christ, it may get worse. Because you're living as a child of God in a fallen world and everything about the world is contrary to you. And so when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior... Uh, it's probably going to be worse. You can, it's going to be hard times. And you're going to have to stand with Jesus Christ. Well, let's see what happens. Look at verse 8, Exodus 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. Rephidim is the place where they struck the rock. And that's where they are. And that's also at, at Horeb. And so they're really at Mount Sinai. They're in that area. And uh, they came to fight against them. And we said, this is the first time they've ever fought. God did everything for them in Egypt. They've been slaves. They've never fought. What are they going to do? Well, first of all, who is, who is Amalek, right? Who are the Amalekites, these people that are coming? Well, Amalek, if you may not remember, but Amalek is the son of Elipaz, who was the grandson of Esau. You remember, Abraham had a son named Isaac. And Isaac had a, a son, really, actually had two sons. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And then from Isaac, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau basically... They were brothers. They fought a lot. Uh, and these people are descendants of Esau. In fact, the, the Amalek is the son of the grandson of Esau. And they're enemies. Why? Well, Jacob and Esau always fought, always were in opposition to each other. Jacob's name meant what? You may remember? Deceiver. And Esau meant hairy or red. And, and Jacob's name got changed to... Israel, which means Prince of God. 
and, and they've always fought. Esau and his descendants have moved into this part of the region of the world, and they're near Mount Sinai, and the Jewish people are coming this way, and so these people say, we're not letting them through. They may, they may have known exactly who they were. What did they do? Now, this is something that, let me read this to you. Just, we don't want to take the time to turn there, but I think I have the verses up there. Deuteron- just, just mark that down and sometime look it up. Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 and 18. But listen to what, what they did. It's, this is, in Deuteronomy it says, Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. How he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear, when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Now, let me tell you what Amalek did. They didn't get an army directly and go and attack the Jewish people. They waited at the back. And as the slower, the older people who were trying to make it, they attacked them and got them and killed them. They were coming after, the, the, the as he says, the weak and the faint and the stragglers. And, 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 and so I've got there. They didn't go after the men. They went after the stragglers. They went at those at the rear. They went after the weak and the tired. I don't like that. Did you like that? You know, it's almost like people who blow up innocent people that we see today. The terrorists, they don't go fight you head on. They don't fight soldiers with soldiers. They go blow up women and children. They go up, blow up buses and blow up people who have nothing to do with them. And notice, and, and when I read it to you, in Deuteronomy it says, they did not fear God. They attacked the weakest area. They attacked not at the front, but at the rear. And by the way, this is the same way our enemy attacks us. He always attacks at our weakest points. The world, the flesh, the devil always attacks at our weakest points. It's always subtle. It's not straight on. I mean, when you think about it, how he comes and gets us, how... The, and let me just say it this way. The devil controls the world system. The world systems affects the flesh. So the three enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. But the devil controls the world system. He's called the God of this age. And the world system then affects our flesh, which is the natural bent to sin. We'll talk more about it in a little bit. And that's how we're attacked. I mean, the, the world, this world, and the pulls, and all of those things, they pull on us. And, and sin, the truth looks good. We wouldn't do it if it didn't look good. We wouldn't do it if it wasn't good. We say, I like to do that. I know it's wrong. I still like to do it, right? I mean, I raise the question, how many of you like to sin? We don't, well, I don't like to sin. How many of you like to sin? Well, actually, I, I like to sin. I don't want to sin. Paul says the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. I mean, if I said to you, how many of you want to sin? You'd say, we don't. How many of you want to sin? Well, we do. Or we wouldn't do it. It's a battle. And the enemy never attacks head on. I mean, the drawings of the devil, of what? Some, some creature in red underwear with a pitchfork and horns. That's not what the devil's like at all. He's the God of this age. He's going to attack you looking so good. He's going to come after you with something that is going to attract you. Well, what will Israel do? Look at verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now he calls in his right-hand man. His right-hand man is Joshua. This is the first time we've actually seen Joshua. But if you study through the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, you say, wait a minute, who is this guy? Well, he's Moses' helper. He's a great man who served God and Moses. Now, after the tabernacle is built, we haven't got to that yet, but after they get the tabernacle, which is the place where God dwells among his people, 
Joshua stays there almost all the time. Joshua is one of the most godly men you're going to ever meet. Joshua was one of the 12 spies that they said, let's go with spy the land, look at it, and come back. They came back. Ten of the 12 said, can't go in. Too big a people. Big giants, walled cities, everything. We can't do it. Joshua and Caleb said, if God says we can take it, we can take it. Joshua is a, is a man. He is going to be the one that when Moses dies, God uses Joshua to take the nation of Israel into the promised land. Now, his name was Hoshea, and it means Savior. And his name was changed to Joshua, which means Jehovah is Savior. God is Savior. And by the way, the name Yeshua, Joshua, is the same name as Jesus. Same name. Now, Moses calls for Joshua and says, So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I'll station myself on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now, choose men and go and fight. And Moses says, I'll just go stand on top of the hill. Now, you could say, Now, Moses, why aren't you going to fight? Why won't Moses fight? Tell me why. He's 80-something years old. Do you want him leading the way? Now, he might be okay. He's a pretty tough old guy. I want Moses on my side if a fight breaks out. But however, this fight is broken out, and Moses said, I want to get some of the younger guys to do the fighting. You can almost see him saying, we have never fought. We have never fought. He said, well, here's what I'm going to do. You guys get ready to fight. I'll get up on top of the hill. I'm going to have the staff, the rod, in my hand. Now, this is the rod. That part of the Red Sea. This is the rod that he struck the rock and the water came out. This is the rod that represents what? The power of God and the presence of God. And what he's really saying is, I'm going to get on top of the hill and God will be with us. It's a symbol of God's presence with his people. Moses is going to overlook the battle. And with God's power and God's presence, they will defeat Amalek, the Amalekites. What did they do? Verse 10. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on top of the hill. Now, we know who Moses is. And we know who Aaron is. Aaron is Moses' brother. Aaron is three years older than Moses. Aaron's 83. Maybe a little, little older than that by now. Because Moses was about 80 years old when they started all this. Close to a year has probably passed. And they're going to be at Mount Sinai over a year. So Moses is going to be 81. Uh, Aaron's going to be 84. Who is Hur? You know, about the... The name Hur, you'd say, well, Ben-Hur, right? Well, I don't know if you know it, but Ben-Hur's name is actually Judah Ben-Hur, Judah, son of Hur. That's what Ben means, Judah Ben-Hur. And the book that's in the movie that was so famous, this guy's name is Hur. We don't know anything about him. But he's going up there. And tradition, tradition says that uh, he was like a son-in-law or had some connection with Aaron. They're going to hold up the staff. And uh, what's going to happen? So notice, look. So it came about that when Moses... Oh, I love this part. Now think, think about this. It says that when Moses held up his hand, or held his hand up, that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. You can see him, they're fighting, and he goes, Hey, hey, we're whipping them, we're whipping them. We're whipping them. Oh, I can't, oh, I can't hold it up. Much. Oh, 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 I've got to keep this thing up, but I can't keep doing this, Right? I mean, you think you can hold up a stick, right? How long can you hold up a stick? You can say, I can hold up a stick for a long time. Just try it. Right? Hold your hand up like this for how long? You go, I can do it. I can, I can do it. Five minutes pass, ten minutes pass. Battles take a little while, you know. And, uh, and as time goes by, Moses goes, golly, whew, I'm doing the best I can. And, well, hey, we're losing. What? Good night. 
It said, it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. Wow, what is going up? Holding up the rod. I think the next slide, if, if there's, yeah, holding up the rod is a picture depending on God. When they depend on God, they win. But when they don't, I think the next slide says, when, they, when they're not holding up the rod, when they're not depending on God, they're losing. That seems funny to us to say just holding up the rod wins, but it, it's symbolic in the same way that parting the Red Sea and hitting the rock and all of those things. Now watch what Moses did. Moses' hands were heavy. You can see him doing this. Golly. I just can't, I can't keep doing this. My hands are getting tired. Moses' hands were heavy. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. He held up all day. So they said, look, you got to sit down. Okay. And then the two guys got beside him and sat down, and they just stood like this, and they kept his hands up. One on one side and one on the other. And Moses was like this while they're holding his arms up. And he'd probably switch it back and forth. Or maybe he put it in like this and said, y'all just hold it up. And those two guys, they're, they're like this. And they kept his arms up. Until when? Until the sun set. That's all day long. All day long. Now I want you to notice teamwork. They're all in this thing together. And all of us are in the battle together. We need each other. When we think about uh, our ministry for Jesus Christ, we think about the battle between the, uh, the world, the flesh, the devil, the ministries, all the things that we're doing. We all got different gifts, talents, and abilities. We're all in this thing together. We all need each other. And if we're going to be, you know, I, I did a, a message uh, last Wednesday night about, one, about the one another's. And the bottom line is, if we're going to, have to be effective in the body of Christ, he's put us in one, one body with many members. We all got different gifts, talents, abilities. We're all supposed to work together. We all help one another. As Ephesians 4.12, we equip one another to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. We do not serve by ourselves. We cannot serve by yourself. Uh, first of all, you don't have all the gifts. If you had every spiritual gift, you could serve by yourself. But you don't. Nobody has all the spiritual gifts. We only have one or two, maybe three. You only have a few. You don't have them all. Notice what happened. Verse 13. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. You can almost see Joshua down there fighting. And when they start getting driven back, they're going, I don't think he's got his hand up. Right? And it says they, they won. They overwhelmed. The word overwhelmed literally in Hebrew means they made weak. They made weak Amalek. They defeated him. And his people with the edge of the sword. Once again, God provides for his people. Now, he provided by parting the Red Sea. He provided by letting the water cover over the Egyptians. He provided by giving them water. He provided by giving them manna. He provided by giving water out of the rock. And now he's provided again. This time is he provided protection and victory. He does not. Now, listen, here's what's so amazing. He doesn't want them to forget this. You know, he, he wants to remember, listen, what, remember what I'm doing for you. See, how do we know that he parted the Red Sea? And how do we know that he gave water out of a rock? And how do we know he gave manna every day? How do we know that? Huh? 
It's written in the Bible, right? Who wrote this down? Anybody know who wrote this down? Moses. Watch the next verse. The Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I may utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Listen, he says, the Lord says to Moses, Write this in a book. Write this down. So you'll have this to help others know what I did for you. In Numbers 32, excuse me, Numbers 33, verse 2, it says, Moses kept a journal of the journey. A journal. You know what he did? How do we know that they stopped at this place and this place and this place and this place? In fact, if you get further over and you get on into the wilderness, and when they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, guess who wrote down where they went? Moses did. When you look at the Bible and you, you look at the first five books, they're called the Torah, but they're all sometimes called the book of the book of the law or the book of Moses. Right. Moses wrote this down. God said, write it down. And here's what he says. Write this down as a memorial and recite it to Joshua. And it, remember this. I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. I'm going to blot out Amalek. Does that sound a little cruel? This man named Amalek and his descendants, they're fighting the nation of Israel. And he, God says, I'm going to deal with them. There was a promise to Abraham. I will what? Bless those that bless you. And I will what? Curse those that curse you. Deuteronomy 25, blot out Amalek. Deuteronomy 25, 19. Listen to what it says. Therefore it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. When he says blot out the memory, he says you've got to wipe them out. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. This, these people sowed hatred and they did not, as it says, they did not Remember God. They didn't care anything about God. So what, is, what do they do? Look at verse 15. Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. Now, what, what was his response to the victory? He worshiped God. And see, sometimes in our lives, we, we, something's going wrong. Something's going tough. We're going through a hard time. We pray to God and we say, Oh, Lord, take care of it. And he answers it. And we don't even thank him. What Moses did is not only thank him, he says, we're going we're gonna to remember it. We're going we're gonna to worship him. Our response is to worship. How do we respond to God's grace in our lives? We should respond in worship of who he is and what he's done. We can't forget what he's done. That's why there's nothing wrong with, with uh, and we talked about this that Sunday morning, that I talked about getting you a, a little book, a little notebook, and, and you write down people to pray for, and you write down things that God does in your life. And it's nothing wrong with, with writing down, just uh, sort of journaling, saying, what did God do today? What did God do here? There are times in our lives that we look back and we go, can you believe what he did? It was so amazing. He took care of us. Now, he named it, the Lord is my banner. That's... Yahweh Nisi. The, the word banner, the idea is that it, it's a title. The Lord is my title. The Lord is my banner. It's the idea that we're fighting under the banner of the Lord. We're fighting under the name of the Lord. We're representing the Lord. That's what he says. 
But look at this, verse 16. And he said, The Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Until when? Until when? Until they're wiped out. You understand this? That he says there's going to be war against Amalek. They'll be fighting until they're destroyed. Listen, they fought him here. They're going to fight him again in a place called Hormah. They're going to, the, the Amalek, uh, Amalekites are going to team with the Moabites and come against Israel, so they'll fight him then. Then after that, they team with the Midianites and come against Israel, and they fight him then. Saul actually fights against the Amalekites, and finally, David is the one who defeats them. God gives the victory over the Amalekites. God's power and teamwork. Now let's think about our enemies for just a second. And and the truth is, we have enemies. Okay? And and I want you to think about two things. One, who are the enemies? Number two, how can we have the victory? So let's think about who are the enemies. And Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, We walked according to the prince of the power of the air. We walked according to this world. And we walked according to the lust of the flesh. The enemies that we battle are the world and the flesh and the devil. These are the three enemies that we face daily. The devil controls the world system. The world system affects our flesh. Let's think about it for just a second. The, the devil, the devil is, is a fallen angel. He's, and some people say, oh, there's no such thing as the devil. The devil is a fallen angel. His name is Lucifer. He was the prince of the morning. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's called the god of this age. doesn't mean he's a god. It means he controls. God has allowed him to control the fallen world system. It's an amazing thing, but that's God's plan. Satan controls the fallen world system. The second enemy is the world. And the world system is a false system contrary to God. It's unbelieving. It's called the cosmos, the fallen world system. And it's an ordered system, but it's a fallen world system. And then the third enemy is the flesh. It is the natural being inside of us to do wrong. We come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. We come into this world with the flesh, which is a bent to automatically sin. We never have to teach people to do wrong. We have to teach people to do right. When we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we're born again. We become a new creation in Christ. We are a new person, and yet we still have the natural bent to sin. It's called the flesh. And it is there. That's why, as a Christian, you'd say, I love Jesus, I love the Bible, I'm a new person in Christ. Why do I still want to do all this stuff? Why do I still want to sin? Why do I still think those bad thoughts? Why do I do this? Because you still have a flesh, and you're going to have it as long as you're in this body until he changes this body into a body like his glorious body. And so there's the devil and the world and the flesh, and the devil controls the world, which affects the flesh. That's the pull. These enemies are there. They're always pulling on us. Uh, and, and we're going to see it. Now, let, let's think about the enemies for just a second. The devil is called the roaring lion, seeking who he may destroy. He wants us to fall. He wants us to fall. That's his plan. First uh, Peter 5, 8 talks about him as the, the roaring lion. Let me just tell you, um, when you decide that you're going to stand for Christ, then immediately you're going against the devil, the world, and your flesh. Now, you've got the battle of the flesh all the time. Whether you live for Christ or not, that battle's there. But when you choose, that you say, I'm going to make a difference for Jesus Christ, you have got the enemy coming after you. And he is there. And and we're, I'm not into all this junk. I'm, we're just saying, listen, there is a fallen world system. There is a fallen being controlling that world system, and it's going to affect you. And when you stand for Jesus Christ, he's like a roaring lion. He would love nothing better than to see any of us fall. 
And we see it all the time. We see people who, who have lived for Christ, who've done good, and then they fall or they mess up. That's what he wants to do. That's the devil. The world, the world hates us. It hates Jesus Christ. The world system, you know, I've told you all this over and over. You can go almost to any group and you can say the name God, and most people won't get mad about it. You can say, I love God. And everybody goes, yeah, we all love God. God's great. But then you say, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him, and people begin to go, what? Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't say that. See, when Tim Tebow prays, no, that's bad. Now, some guy can be drunk all the time and do his dance in the end zone and be known as a womanizer, and he's okay to do his dance in the end zone, but the guy who stands for Christ and prays after something good happens, oh, he can't do that. That's because we're in a world system that is contrary to what we stand for. And you've got to recognize the world hates Jesus Christ and hates us. Omar Bradley said this, The world has achieved brilliance without wisdom, power without conscience. He says, Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. That's what you got. And then the third enemy, of course, is the flesh. It has the pull of sin. It's the old man. The Bible calls it the old man within us. Sometimes it's called sin within us. It is the desire to sin. It'll always be there. That's our enemies. Now, how does the enemy attack us? Never head on and always attacks at our weakest areas. Listen, uh, it's always subtle. It's always subtle. Excuse me, I, I said that wrong. It's ne- go back. It's never head on. I think I probably said head on, but I meant never head on. You see, it's always subtle. It's counterfeit. Think about the counterfeit gospel that you hear all the time. If you do good, God will love you. How do you go to heaven? Well, you have to try to live a good life. And even the people that say it's faith in Christ, they'll say, yes, faith in Christ, but you've got to repent of sins, give your life to Jesus, walk down an aisle, make the Lord of life, get baptized. You've got to be willing to do all these things. And yet... That's not the message. But it's, it sounds right. It's almost close because it's counterfeit. It's just off enough. It's never head on. The devil never says, I hate you and I want you to burn in hell forever. Because that's where I'm going to be. Because that's where he's going to be. Lake of fire. He didn't say that. He says, let me tell you something. God's holding back. If he really loved you, he'd let you do anything you wanted to do. Because in the garden, when the fall came, the devil said, has God really said? He said, God's not telling you the truth. See, God knows that when you eat that fruit, you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. God's holding back. He doesn't really want you to know the truth. So we always, it's never head on. It's always subtle. And it's always at our weakest. Oh, I'm sorry. Keep. It's always at our weakest area. You know where your ears are weak, right? You know what it is. You know yourself. That's why you have to be very careful. That's why he says, guard your hearts. Be careful what you're putting in because it's going to always attack us in our weakest area. How do we gain victory? Well, there's really two things. One, it's only in God's power and it's in unity with other believers. It's getting God's power. It's the only way. We must not live in our power for God's power, but it's with others as we stand in the body of Christ with believers equipping each other to do the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ, being there for one another, seeking not the forsaking of ourselves as the manner of some is, but stirring up one another to love and to good works. How do we deal with these enemies? Well, think about it. Love not the world or the things of the world. The world's very attractive. The world says, look at that car. Look at that house. Look at those clothes. Look at that toothpaste. 
It'll make your teeth bright. It'll make you just better. You gotta have all these things. You gotta do this. You gotta be important. You gotta look out for yourself. That's what the world is saying all the time. He says, don't love the world. Love God. We're to walk in love, loving the Lord our God and loving others. And the truth is, when we keep the focus on Christ, loving God and others, the world will lose its pull. Now, it's going to always be there. But when you really focus it on Christ and others, that, that pull's not the same. Second is the flesh. He says, walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's the only way to do it. The flesh is always pulling, but when you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's the only way you can have victory over the lust of the flesh. It's there. And then the devil. How do you resist him? You put on the armor of God. Let me just say this. We're not going after the devil. There's a whole group of, of Christians that think you go after the devil. We're going to name and claim and go after him and get the devil. Listen, stay away from the devil. He's the most powerful being that you know about. Other than Michael the archangel and God himself, the devil is a very powerful being. What you want to do is put on the armor of God and stand. He says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. He didn't say go after the devil. We're not attacking the devil. We're not going after the devil. In fact, the key thing is to get as close to God as possible. Put on the full armor of God so we can resist the devil. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are in a spiritual battle. The devil is the roaring lion controlling the fallen world which affects our flesh. In God's power and in unity with fellow believers, we can have the victory. We love the Lord our God, walking in the Spirit, putting on the armor so we can stand. It's powerful truth. What have we seen? We've seen in the wilderness Amalek attacks and their descendants of Esau and they come from the rear and they come and they get the weakest. Joshua has, Moses has to get Joshua to fight. Moses and Aaron and Hur go up on the hill. If they hold up the rod, they win. If they let down the rod, they're losing. So Moses gets to the point where he can't hold it up anymore. So he sits on the rock and they hold his arm up and they gain the victory. It's a picture of, of victory in God's power. And God said, write it down so you don't forget it. And what we see is how our enemy attacks us and how we can have victory. So applications know our enemies. As believers, we have three. The world, the flesh, the devil. The world has fallen. It hates us. Next slide, I think, says the flesh is bent to sin and the devil is a roaring lion. You've got to know that enemy. You've got to know it's there. I've had people not understand. I've had people come up to me and say, listen, I know I've trusted in Christ as my Savior, but if I'm a Christian, and maybe I'm not, if I'm a Christian, why do I still have these thoughts? Sometimes they think that because they still have the pull to sin, maybe they're not a Christian. No, it's there. You'll have that pull as long as you're in this normal old body. The devil controls the world and affects the flesh. Remember how the enemy attacks, subtle like Amalek from the rear, subtle with a false gospel and a false message. The false gospel... Do good and God will love you. You can't do good and God already loves you. Gain the victory in God's provision. Now God has provision for us. Think about it. What does he say? Love not the world, walk in the spirit and resist the devil. That's what he says. Love not the world, walk in the spirit and resist the devil. If we keep our focus on the eternal, not the temporal, if we walk in the spirit, which is God's power and not the flesh, and if we resist the devil by putting on God's armor, we can have the victory. This is a tough battle. How many of you are in the battle? Everybody in the battle? How many of you feel this battle every day? Let's face it, right? You're in it. We're not playing a game. You know, we're not. We're all fallen people who are new creations in Christ and we still have the bent to do wrong, we still live in this fallen world and we still have an enemy that would love to see us fall. 
if we don't depend on each other, and if we don't continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, if we don't do the right things, we're going to fall. We've got to be there for each other. The third application is just worship and serve Jesus Christ. In the same way that, that they said, our banner is Christ, or our banner is the Lord, which means we represent the Lord. That's what we do. And when we have the victory, what do we say? We say, thank you, Lord. We worship our God and Savior. And when we come together on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and whatever, we're coming together to worship the living God who gives us the victory. So may we gain victory over our enemies as we live in God's provisions, worshiping and serving our Savior. Let me pray. If you've got questions or comments, we'll, we'll deal with them. Heavenly Father, what a night. Thank you for the passage. Thank you, Lord, first of all, for allowing us to see how you, gained the, how you gave the victory, how Amalek came and, and came in behind and, and, and was tricking and subtle and everything else, and yet you gave the victory. And as, as they depended on you, uh, they won. Lord, we have an enemy. In fact, we have three enemies. We have a, a, a fallen world system which is controlled by an evil angel. And this all affects our natural bent to sin. Lord, we don't want to fall. We know that when we immediately stand for you, that these enemies come after us. And so, Lord, we want to walk in the Spirit so we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We want to love not the world or the things in the world. And we want to put on the armor of God so that we can resist the devil. So, Lord, help us to have the victory. Help us to do these things. And, Lord, we realize that it, it takes all of us together. In the body of Christ, you've put us in with gifts, talents, and abilities that we're there to build each other up, to stir one another up, to love and good works, to be there for one another, to bear one another's burdens. May we do that. Thank you, Lord, for the victory in Jesus Christ, the victory in the provisions that you have given for us. May we gain the victory day in and day out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.